0: And welcome back to Coast to Coast, George Nori, with you, Richard Serrett will be on tomorrow night for you, and I'll be back on Sunday with emerging artists and some great guests, and then we'll get your week rolling in here on Coast to Coast. Let's go to the phones. First time caller, Stan in South Dakota. Hey, Stan, welcome to the show.
1: Yeah, well, I, I'm not a first time caller, but uh, I pushed the button.
0: <laughs> okay, we'll let yeah. you through. We'll let you through on this one.
1: Yeah, no, uh, thanks for, uh, it's, uh, I, I enjoyed, uh, the, the archbishop and I've had a lot of experience, uh, in that area and he, he was right on. He was not, uh, he was not trying to, uh, impress or, uh, uh, those kind of people need a lot of prayer for, uh when they're dealing with Yeah, he
0: was darn serious about what he does.
1: Yeah, I'm very sincere, very, uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a, what do you call them, discerner's, communication discerner's, and uh, a very loving person. You can tell by people's voices most of the time if they're pretty loving. And uh, anyway, the, what I wanted to talk to you about is, the uh the other night i think it was your program you talked about 16 kids in a car that were headed for trafficking and uh organ donations right yeah and see and what i wanted to ask them is that a, are those people demon possessed or are they just evil
0: i think they're just plain evil
1: That's what I think, too. I think that, I think if you ask them, they would just think they were, you know, they had a right to do that, like uh, drug pushers, you know, that uh, they have no respect for uh, other people. None. And so, but uh, yeah, you have a lot of interesting guests, and uh, like I said, since I started listening, my... My IQ has gone up forty-seven points.
0: Perfect. <laughs> we all get PhDs listening to this show, Stan.
1: Yeah, I know it's it's a it's a real real service to uh, to people, and I've uh, I've done a lot of research on the brain. I try to help veterans. It's one, you know. I,
0: well, good for a, you.
1: Yeah, I'm a veteran, and uh, thank you. I came close to death about seven times. And uh, because of it, see, most people do not understand PTSD. They really don't. The brain changes. Stress changes the brain. And that brain needs special attention and special education for the rest of its life. And we all need a lot of love. And I think if we would start loving people... Instead of judging them, we could see this world turn around uh, a lot faster. But uh, you keep doing your uh, your good deed. I uh, I enjoy you. Uh, I enjoy your. I'm gonna write a book because I stay up late and listen. I'm gonna write a book called Not Tonight, George.
0: I love it. All right, thanks, Stanley. Appreciate it. Next up, Jim in Delaware. Take it away, Jimmy.
1: Hey, George, good to hear Cornelius is still with
0: us. Yeah, he is. I got a little worried about that.
1: Remember, he's saying he's going to be away for about a month.
0: He's back.
1: Anyway, remember when Dr. King was assassinated in 68? They used to say that you're not born, no one's born a racist. It's taught racism is taught. What are they doing in, to these school kids?
2: They're telling the white ones, you're, you're naturally born an oppressor of the black people. Of the, and the black
1: people are always going to be oppressed. It's like they want to keep racism
2: alive.
0: Well, I think racism comes at people two ways. One, from the family. Two, from outside influences that young kids pick up. And, uh, I mean, I was born in Detroit. I had a lot of African-American friends, and it was just part of my life. And uh, people are people. I don't understand how people are just so racist when it comes to stuff, including religions and stuff. I think these are topics we really don't handle on the program a lot, but... I mean, they're there, they're real, and uh, you just got to start caring about people as people. Let's go next to Steve in Philadelphia. Steven, take it away.
2: Hey, George, great to talk to you. Uh, I am an airline pilot, and around 22.30 or 10.30 uh, Eastern time earlier tonight, there were a series of very strange-looking lights in the northwest sky, up quite high, and uh, I was just calling to see maybe if any other pilots could call in. Um, there's a frequency that we use that we use basically for emergencies, but sometimes there's some random chatter that goes on over it. But it uh, seemed like a number of people were seeing the same lights. And uh, I was just wondering if, you know, any other pilots out there might have seen it. Those uh, signals, radio signals, go pretty far at night, uh, especially up at uh, the altitude which we were at, which was 34,000. It was very interesting. Um Uh, First time I've ever seen something weird.
0: Okay, we'll do that. The call has been made. Let's see what happens. Text
3: and tweets. Tommy, what do you have? This one we have from Jason in Connecticut. Do you think we will ever fly past Mars? Well, what do you mean fly past Mars? Well, I don't know because he doesn't elaborate, but I'm assuming go to another planet besides Mars, like way, way out there. With
0: astronauts? Yes. Probably not. That's what I'm assuming. I don't think so.
3: I don't either. <laughs> I hope we get to Mars. Wouldn't that be great? I just watched a movie called The Martian the other day.
0: That was with Matt Damon.
3: Yeah. It's
0: pretty good. It's a good movie. He was out there growing things <laughs> on the soil and stuff like Could that. Could you imagine flying and then just everybody has to leave? Poof. It's horrible.
3: Yeah. Great writers.
0: Would you go to Mars if they invited you to go?
3: No. Too long a trip. No, I just like living here, and I don't think... Would you go to the moon for, like, a two-week trip? Yeah, I might do that. With Dr. Sky. (laughs) As long as I can come back. Hey, you know what? We flew Sophia. That was pretty, uh, I guess, the closest you'll get. But as long as I can come back... Was
0: that scary, doing that?
3: No, it was so fun. It was so fun. I mean, it's just like flying in a normal airplane, except that you're it's all black and there's nothing out there. And so it's not scary. It's just kind of, kind of cool.
0: Did it give you the perception of anti-gravity?
3: No, it just really felt just like a normal airplane ride.
0: It did. Okay. But
3: you knew you were so much farther up there, you know? All right.
0: Thanks, Thomas. East of the Rockies. Vaughn is with us in Beaumont, Texas. Hey Vaughn.
4: Hello. How are you? Okay. Um, that um, Sierra Sound thing been going on since uh, 71, 72. Uh, I don't know how no one debunked it. Uh, I clearly have done that already um, on one of your channels uh, on YouTube, decoding Sasquatch language Okay, under the Coast to Coast AM, uh, I guess it's logo, where comments are. Um, I have, um, uh, the minute and se- well, the second, uh, dictates on there, you know, minute and second di- dictates, uh, I- I've transcribed it meticulously. And I promise you that is exactly what's being said. Uh, I can, uh, transcribe the whole, just about the whole, uh, uh, Sierra sound thing. Um, and I was posting on, um, Sierra Sounds by Ron Moorhead and Al Berry, part mm-hmm. one, two, okay. and three. And um, they won't allow it to uh, you know, to stay posted. At first, they were uh, stacking about 50 uh, um, comments over mine, pushing it down the list. And then they uh, end up uh, just stop letting it uh, appear. But uh, if, if you look on the decoding Sasquatch language. That's your um, coast-to-coast uh, deal on YouTube. And then uh, under coast-to-coast Coast, uh, AM uh, official uh, little logo, where you have a comment, um, one of mine is a reply.
0: How did, how did you decode these, one That's
4: very, very easy. Uh, I listened to it over and over again. And then, I, like I said uh, one time before, I started listening with my heart instead of my head. For inflections, intonations, uh, pitches, and stuff, and then once you hear it, it you you wonder how everybody uh, is missing it. You know, it's so clear, and uh, I'm telling you that I can tell you, you know, what's being said. On uh, you know, uh, it'll start off, um, "Hey, I, hey, I hate acting," and then uh, the girls say, "Well, I don't know. Don't act like me. Whatever," and then he'll say. Um. Well, now I hear from Wendy the Pooh, and then she say Ron, and then he say I'm thinking, and then she say What you thinking? Back off, and then uh, they start making garble,
1: <laughs>
4: and then he say Oh, what the hell you come from? So you don't think it's the real deal? It's you listen to it. It's it's on your it's on your station. On, on the yeah,
0: station. no, I've heard it. I've it. It's bizarre though, to be sure. Next up, let's go to Marcy in San Diego. Hello, Marcy.
5: Hi. Before I speak about what I called about, uh, the suicide subject came up. And, uh, you know, I appreciate you keeping the show going because I mourned for Art Bell like he was a blood relative. And when he lost his Ramona, and she was only 46, yeah, he got no down one night. He talked about the unthinkable And I was so thrilled when he met a girl that reminded him of Ramona, he said, and then they even able to start a baby. I was so thrilled. And the other thing was, uh, you know, the races really started coming together in the 1950s and 60s over rock and roll. And we even had a a black president reelected. And I was so thrilled. And I am a Republican, but I was still so thrilled. And then a few bad apples in the police got all just backsliding and stirred up. It just hurt me so bad. What I called about was somebody was calling in and asking about um, um, Patricia Bragg. And for young people, I'm 80, um, that don't know... Jack Delane started the first gym. I don't believe there were any gyms in the United States
0: in those days. Um, That's right.
5: And uh, Paul Bragg was the uh, well. Jack Delane was the uh, kind of the
0: protege of Paul was Paul Paul was Patricia's father.
5: Right, right. Well, I read a book by Paul Bragg. It was uh, actually it was a a book on health, but he said that. he used to give these lectures in San Francisco about health. And Jack Elaine lived on a farm outside of San Francisco, and he was just a, a boy. And uh, his family would bring in the vegetables to San Francisco to sell. And they would get the money, and they would buy white bread and a lot of junk food. And um, uh, he said, well, actually, it was in, like in the Bible. You, you were giving up your birthright. So Jack Elaine started attending the lectures by Paul Bragg on the health and uh, about the the life force he called it is in the fruit and vegetables. So um, Jack Lelane started eating the fruit and vegetables and started exercising. And he had been a rot underweight, little, uh, always sick, and uh, he got healthy and strong. And he made the. Uh, 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 when he was older, he started the, the Lane gyms all over the country. I'll never forget. This is a real belly laugh. When Jacqueline was really old, like 92 or 93, he's on TV doing all these push-ups. <laughs> and his, uh, I, I
0: remember and seeing him. I remember seeing him.
5: His wife, his wife was standing there watching him, and the uh, interviewer says, Wow, I am impressed. Could I ask how's the, lo- the love life? Jack says, why, nearly every day? She says, yeah, nearly on Monday, nearly on Tuesday, nearly on Wednesday. I had a big bang out of that. <laughs> so anyway, um, you know, it's so nice now that um, uh, they have all these fruit and vegetable powders and and you do not have to buy anything expensive like what they're advertising on TV, these food and vegetables in the pill. Uh, you can buy uh, different brands of that, and you can buy it so cheap in the powder. I've been buying these big old uh, uh, tubs. Uh, let's see here, about um, well, 10 ounces. They're pretty, almost the size of a coffee, a regular coffee can, for around 10 bucks.
0: Not bad. How old, how old are you now, Marcy?
5: I am eighty years old. Good for you. And uh, I, I, uh, I live across the street from a gym that I I don't I don't, I haven't been going since COVID. I, but I was running on the indoor track, and um, at first I was only able to run around there two times, and uh, <clears throat> and uh, it's it's like uh, a third of a mile or something like that. So. One time this big guy was down there happened to be standing on the track. This guy had even been in the Olympics. I mean this guy is what they call it the triathlon, the Ironman contest and he came over here from Holland. He says, "Why why are you only able to run two times, lady around?" I said, "Oh, I'm nervous <laughs> how hard that." He you... said, well, "Now, let me tell you how to do dots." He says, "Now, yeah, don't go so fast. You you jog. You don't have to run. And then next time you come, you go three times around, and you do that uh, for a while, and then you, you you start going four times, and you're going to build up, and you're going to train, and don't uh, strain. Uh, don't strain, and you're going to be going many times around there. So that's what I did, and I I did. Uh, End up going, you know, I was running like three three miles twice a week, and runs in my family to have have high blood pressure. No matter what you do, if you're in this family, and my blood pressure, even though I was doing all this exercise and I knocked off all my excess weight, uh, doing everything right, my heart would start racing and pounding while I was all relaxed watching TV, and it scared the heck out of me. So I finally got on the high blood pressure pills. You know, I I believe if I hadn't built up my heart like I I had, I I do believe it would have killed me.
6: Well,
0: you stay healthy. You stay healthy, my dear. Let's take another call before the break. Eric in Indiana. Hello there, stranger.
2: George, this is Eric, the mind control guy. How's
0: How's the mind control guy?
2: Oh, we're doing fine. Just trucking up and down the highways of the Midwest, delivering food.
0: Keeping America going.
2: Absolutely. Anyway, uh, I want to talk about ghost pets. I know you have uh, guests around uh, October that deal with such topics, but we recently lost one of our cats. And uh, interesting where he ended up passing on underneath our deck on top of the old stone steps. And 11 days later, we finally found him.
0: Oh, geez. uh, We
2: we didn't know how he disappeared. I let him out for his nightly stroll around the yard, and he never showed back up. And then when I found him, apparently he had got hit by a car, but it didn't kill him, and he knew he wasn't going to make it. So he drug himself back, went underneath the deck, crawled up there, and he passed on right underneath the threshold where we step outside. I think he wanted to die at home, but he, wanted, he didn't want us to see him in his condition. But a few days after I buried him, he had a distinct sound. Some cats meow, some cats howl. I call it a meow. And I was in the house by myself at night, and all of a sudden I heard his voice.
0: After he had passed.
2: About two, three days after he had passed, right at the threshold. And our other cat come running up from downstairs, and he was looking around. He heard it, too. And I'm thinking, you know, the guests that deal with such topics, hopefully they'll have, there'll be one on here uh, in October that deal with ghost pets, that they let you know that they're still around, that they never wanted to leave home.
0: I think we have one next week. We're going to come back and wrap things up with Barbara Lamb on UFOs next. Well, they say your past life affects who you are today. Past life regressionist Barbara Lamb tells all. Barbara, welcome back to the program.
6: Thank you, George. I'm delighted to be here. And how are you these days? I'm fine. Really busy these days.
0: How did you get involved in hypnotherapy? How did that first start for you?
6: Well, first of all, I became licensed as a psychotherapist back in 1976, way back there. And then um, in 1984, I began to have a few years of training to be a past-life regression therapist. And that eventually morphed into people coming for regressions who had had extraterrestrial encounters. And, of course, when they first started coming in 1991, some of them knew that they were having strange visitors at night and sometimes they were having missing time or sometimes they would have unusual markings on their bodies or little lumps under their skin, which turned out to be implants. And so they didn't really know what was going on, but they knew something very peculiar was happening to them now and then. So anyway, uh, we did regressions to... Some of those experiences, and it turned out that they were extraterrestrial encounters. So that's how I happened to get into that. And my goodness, George, since 1991, um, I have had the great uh, privilege, I consider it, of regressing well over 2,000 individuals to these extraterrestrial experiences.
0: And, Barbara, when you were doing this and you were getting these kinds of accounts, did you think, this is weird, this is strange?
6: Well, I did, yes, because I, like most of us, I didn't grow up with that kind of knowledge at all. And I had thought that UFOs and extraterrestrials were simply fiction. That's what I thought. So when people started coming to me with these particular happenings and, and wonderings, you know, I I really wasn't thinking in terms of extraterrestrials, but the more the regressions went on and the more detailed the experiences were that were coming out in regression, you know, I finally had to believe that, woo! a lot of people are getting visited yeah. by these beings and having a variety of experiences.
0: At what point did you start getting involved with the children?
6: Well, even back in that first year, in 1991, I uh, was working with about three different adults about their extraterrestrial experiences, and they were talking about their children having uh, reports. The children would give reports of, you know, unusual visitors in the room at night or being flown out the window and up into the air and into someplace else. And so the adults began to think, wow, I'm not only having these experiences, but my child is having them. So fortunately um, for them and for me, uh, some of these mothers were bringing their children in to my office just to have a chat about these things. And what they were describing about the beings and about what was happening to them certainly sounded like what was happening to the adults and that they were indeed having experiences with what we call extraterrestrial beings. But I'd like to mention some of the, the ways that children talked about them. Uh, it's kind of cute in some ways. I mean, In other words, some children would report that fairies were in their room last night. Or some kids called them monsters. Oh, those little monsters came again. Or kids said, oh yeah, those little sparkles of light came in the room through the window and they swirled around and made all these pretty patterns. And some kids even said, you know, a big ball of light, white light, came into the room woke me up and it was sort of flying around and then it stopped and then out of this big ball of light came a little guy a little being a little like a little gray being or sometimes even three little beings of course, they didn't know to call them aliens right. they
0: didn't know what they were
6: extraterrestrials no but they just would see this thing happen And some people called them little people, so they'd report the next day to mom and dad, oh, the little people came. Or I know one child kept talking about the funny little people. And um, one lady saw all these little sparkles flying around in the room when these occasions would happen, and she called them the fireflies because that's what it reminded her of. And then I had somebody, at one point, one child uh, called them the gargoyle people because he'd seen statues on Notre Dame and different um, cathedrals like that. And so these E.T. visitors reminded him of the gargoyles. Um, Another lady saw little lights very frequently around the ceiling, the edge of the wall where it meant the ceiling met the ceiling all the way around, and she called them the the little woodgies.
0: The little woodgies?
6: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So in other words, kids don't know what to call them, so they sort of make up their own name. And another um, little boy said, oh, yeah, that little old man came again last night, the one with the wrinkly face. And, And then many children have reported that somebody, a being or two or three, um, have come out of the closet or in through the window. But I've really been amazed at how many people report these beings coming out of the closet. That
0: sounds like a portal to me.
6: It does sound like a portal. And of course, uh, the children don't know that concept about a portal, Um, but, uh, but they certainly do frequently describe that and some people, oh call them their space friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of these um, you know, kids are quite scared, even terrified as they see these beings come in, particularly the ones that they consider are monsters. But then there are plenty of other kids who consider these beings as their friends, as playmates. companions.
0: Have any of these children been taken and then brought back?
6: Oh, yes. Yes, that's all part of the experience. And typically, just as it is with adults or any age, um, the child will remember waking up and the beings in the room and very often not being able to move Mm -hmm. or call out. Um, And they, they might be aware enough to um, have realization of being levitated up off the bed and floated across the room, floated through the room or through the wall with these beings. And sometimes they'll remember even kind of like being floated up in a beam of light into something. It's in
0: got to be petrified for the kid. Well, it's scary for an adult.
6: Uh, <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. It can be scary for any age. However, uh, what I have found with adults and with children, the more we talk about all this, and then when we do regressions, too, of course, uh, that they realize that, oh, what seemed to be terrible and scary and uh, frightening very often turns out to be were, and right. that in some cases they were even helped in various ways by these beings.
0: The, these beings I mean, sense the kid is scared or something, I bet.
6: Oh, they, they must, yes. And, and I think that that is why they try to do this clandestinely, because they know that they can really scare humans.
0: What do you think they want, though,
6: Barbara?
0: I mean, well, why deal with little kids? What, what, what's happening?
6: Well, you see, George, there are so many different kinds of extraterrestrial beings, different species from all over the place. True. And True. so they each have their own agenda. So it depends on which group of ETs we're talking about. Uh, some of them um, are more scientifically oriented and they want to study, they want to study us. They want to study children, teenagers, young adults, older adults, and understand how our physiology works.
0: Maybe they seated us and they're checking back. Possible?
6: Real good possibility. What a good idea you have. Yeah, uh, many of us do have that theory that that is quite likely. We don't know for sure, but quite likely. So with some of the beings as I say, they like to really understand how our bodies work. And that even begins with understanding a child's body. Uh, some of them um, are more interested in how they can help a human's body, whether that's a child or an older person. And they do a lot of healing of different conditions that we humans have. And sometimes... If they don't go ahead and heal something that they can see is wrong, uh, they will warn the person uh, that they have a liver problem or whatever the problem is that they're seeing. And they'll suggest to the person that when the person gets home again, the person will go to his own doctor for a checkup and say that he suspects that maybe he has that particular problem, which the ETs have directed detected, and um, that you know the doctor will go ahead and, and treat that condition. But so many times, even children and any age of person will be actually healed of whatever the condition is, healed right there on the spaceship, or even in some cases. Uh, the person is healed right there at home in their own bed. In other words, the whole encounter just stays right there in the person's home. And it's frequently done, that is the healing, is done with some kind of application of light. Uh, sometimes, yeah,
0: Or green goo as you have. Yeah,
6: green goo. Absolutely. Yeah, That that's uh, one of the notable things about children that uh, sometimes children have found that they've been taken on board and put in a tub, like a bathtub type of arrangement. And instead of water in that tub, um, it's filled with what they describe as green goo, because it's sort of a little bit It's runny, but thick, a little bit viscous. Of course, they don't use that word. Um, And that they just sort of soak their bodies like soaking in a bathtub. And that there's something about that green substance that gets absorbed through the child's skin and heals the child of whatever the difficulty is. And then on other occasions, uh, sometimes the child is sick to some extent when taken aboard the spacecraft, and um, the child is given a glass of green liquid to drink, and that is a very healing process as well. So we humans don't know what makes up that green substance, but uh, I wish we had it because it seems to be a wonderful healer.
0: These are just amazing stories in this real small book for yes. kids this is is this primarily for kids or adults because I find it kind of interesting myself.
6: Good for you, yes, well, we wrote the book uh for kids primarily, but with the idea that in many cases, a parent or grandparent or babysitter might be reading that book or just looking at it, you know, with the child, maybe reading the captions, whether the child can read or not, kids love to be read to. And um, the the idea is that um, this can validate for children if they have had these encounters. And one reason why that's important is because so many children tell their parents that their little woodgies or their little space friends or whatever um, have been there again last night. And the parents very often don't believe the child. They
0: don't see this experience, do they?
6: No, they don't see it. They are in their own rooms just totally sound asleep.
0: For Dan Galanti, Tom Danheiser, Lisa Lyon, Lex Lonehood, Sean LaDosore, Stephanie Smith, Chris Burroughs, Tim Banal, George Knapp, and Ian Punnett, I'm George Norrie somewhere out there on Coast to Coast AM. We'll see you on our next edition. Until then, be safe, everyone.